42. And we're live. You keep messing up my counting. You know I only have so many fingers and toes. All right. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So, without further ado, we're going to introduce you to the reason we're here today. And it's not Seska as much as her booze out of mine wants us to think it is. We're here to talk to Calvin Fisher. Hey guys, thanks for my counting. I had to get it. <laughs> so, uh, Calvin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm originally from Plymouth, Minnesota, just a small little um, suburb by Minneapolis. Uh, moved out to Denver, so out here in the Rockies now. Uh, love writing, love video games, love just being outdoors. Um, just wrote and published my debut no novel, Northfield. So, um, that's a lot about me. Awesome. Do you have a friend named Hobbs? You need a best friend named Hobbs. You'd be surprised at how often I get that question. And every time I get asked, I just wish more that I had a friend named Hobbs. You need to get a dog and name the dog or cat Hobbs so you can say yes. That's a good idea. Uh, or, I need to write that one down. Or he could, uh, you know, just make a new character and call him Hobbs and go, my best, my best books are about Hobbs. There you go. A lot of That's writers another. say their characters are their best friends, right? So I feel like I would there you work go. right into that. All right. So the next part of the introduction is rather simple. We would ask the uh, the hosts, that would be me, and uh, or Seska and I, if we want to be all proper, um, how we met them. But since we actually first found him when his press agent reached out to us, so easy peasy, we had an interview. So now, Seska, you get to ask him the most important question to determine whether we finish this interview or not. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? No. Oh, if if that that's going to end the interview, I don't know how to answer that. But <laughs> no. I figure I'll be honest and say no. I not a few. Then he gets to stay. Oh well, Jr. loves you. Um, but actually, what I meant was what I should be asking you is Star Trek, Star Wars, or Firefly. Which one's your religion? I like Star Wars the best out of those. I just like you know the classic fight of good or evil that Star Wars presents. Um, I just it's hard to beat. They just do it the best. So I'd have to go with that one. Okay, then how about fantasy-wise? So Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Forgotten uh, Realms, bleh, Forgotten Realms, or Lord of or the Rings. Game of Thrones. No, no, or uh, Lord of the Rings. I can read. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'd have to say Lord of the Rings for similar reasons, just sort of the struggle um, presented between good and evil. That's pretty cut and dry. Um, sort of, you know, Game of Thrones can be a bit murky. And Harry Potter was just never one I got into, which is sort of weird because it sort of was my generation was the huge Harry Potter craze. Um, but I think I, I'd have to go with Lord of the Rings. I can understand that. I had, um, I read the last book of Harry Potter twice before I remembered it. That's fair. Um, so which one was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi was my first love. Um, I actually started out as a huge comic book fan, primarily Marvel. And I think just a lot of that, um, the science fiction there sort of is what introduced me to liking sci-fi and chapter books so, and novels. So I started off with Spider-Man and sort of moved from there. Okay. So 
Uh, what would be your first memory of engaging with specfic as a genre? Was it watching TV, playing video games? Obviously, it was not reading Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I'd say it sort of started off with um, while I was reading comic books, I um, also was a big fan of playing video games. And just through that, you know, some of the classics in the genre, like, Mass Effect and Followed and those things sort of uh, wanted me to get more into reading some of the speculative sci-fi classics too. Okay, so what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love? I think it's a great way to sort of explore different moral questions that are kind of hard to look at in our daily life. Um, I think it can just pr present a lot of situations that you really have to think about and um, and just wondering, it, it gives a great way to sort of reflect on our current society. And besides all that, it's a great way to escape. I mean, who doesn't want to spend a little bit of time in a world where people are blasting out aliens with laser guns? You know, it's kind of a, a hard thing to beat. Well, we do love our blasters on this podcast. So <laughs> Indeed. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories in it? I would say um, I've always been passionate about writing. Um, when I was a little kid, um, I would actually make homemade comic books and go around the neighborhood selling them to Aww. pretty much anyone who would buy them. Um, so pretty much it kind of went hand in hand. So once I became interested in the speculative fiction genre, that also was around the same time that I wanted to start writing in that uh, genre as well. Because when I was really into thrillers, that was um, another genre I was pretty into writing. As you can see, it sort of follows what I'm usually reading and interested in. I want to write too. That makes sense. Okay. So, so many authors let their own real life experiences influence the stories that they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Um, I would just say um, I was pretty fortunate to have a good upbringing. And I think that informed a lot of the values that I bring into my novels, you know, I really strive to write stories that are wholesome with um, messages that are positive because, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of darkness to be found these days. So I, I just want to bring some of that positivity and uh, sort of good values. That's awesome. I definitely agree with you on that one. It's much better to be, you can find stuff to be positive about. That's the best part to focus on. Um, but transitioning a bit away from the writing side, talking about things from a fan angle, I know you're, you boldly published at any time when there were no fans to be seen because everybody was hiding. Um, thank you for the disease that shall not be talked about today. But so you have yet to have your first fan experience. How do you think you're going to, are you ready? You know, I don't. It's a bit tough to say. I, I'm really excited. I think once I sort of get my first fan drawing, that's what I'm most excited about is getting just some drawing or art from a fan. I First thing I'll do is just share that everywhere I possibly can, you know, first with friends and family. But um, sort of I was saying the comic book background, uh, a lot of drawings and stuff really appeal to me. So I think above all, that's what I'm excited for. That, that You think that's when it, the moment of I've made it will sink in for you? Yeah, I think for sure that's when it'll finally hit me. And what are you going to do to celebrate? 
Um, I think besides just running up and down the streets, just waving it around. Um, probably, I think that's awesome. Yeah, probably just print it out and um, put it on my wall, I'd say. So, yeah. I think that's wonderful. I really look forward to it. You will have to, when you get that first one, you'll have to come and share it with, in our Facebook group so we can all enjoy it with you. I love, I, to do that. I love seeing it when authors succeed. So Thanks. I'll do that for sure. Um, so we're here to talk about everything you've written so, and um, have you written other things? Can you give us the highlight reel of your body of work? Yeah, so Northfield is my first published work, um, published in November of last year. Um, besides that, though, I've written, um, I've been writing novels for about, gosh, since 2013, 14, so coming up on eight or nine years. So through that, I've written a whole bunch of novels, just sort of honing my craft and really getting ready to uh, to publish the first one. Exciting. So were there any like um, short stories and anthologies? Cause some people forget to count those or published articles in newspapers when you were in school, anything like that? Uh, you know, not really. I was um, always pretty focused on writing novels. That's where my attention sort of rests. Um, never been a huge short story writer. So um, it's been mostly writing a few novels. Um, a thriller was my first one followed by a, a few science fiction novels um, until we got to this till Northfield. All right. Well, that narrows down the topic for tonight. So we'll talk about how you came up with the idea for Northfield. So was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in Colorado's devil's lettuce? You know, more than anything else, it was just a, a trial of um, a process of trial and error. It actually, the sort of inception for the novel was more of a thriller type um, and just wrote a draft for that. Uh, didn't think it worked super well. So just kept tweaking and tweaking it and just sort of like a lightning bolt that hit me. What if I changed the setting and themes and made it science fiction? And from there, just everything flowed. Um, so I, I'd say just a combination of being in there and writing as well as um, just consuming science fiction at the time kind of um, made everything fall into place. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about that glorious cover. I'm going to share that real quick. Uh, and as I bring that up, can you tell us the story of how this art came to be? Yeah, for sure. So when I finished writing Northfield and uh, was looking to publish it, um, one thing every book needs is a cover. So I just started shopping around trying to find a cover. Um, and I came across just these amazing set of science fiction covers that were just an astronaut on this just crazy, colorful, sort of waterboard color um, landscape. And I just thought they were the most beautiful thing. So I, I reached out to the um, to the cover artist, uh, Geoffrey Bunting, who actually lives in the UK and just work with him and sort of just through um, just talking with him and going through my book, we uh, sort of came up with this and this is what he designed. That's awesome. I think in some ways, some of the most powerful covers are the ones where when as a reader, you can go back and you can look at it and you can see how that cover really ties to the book. And that's what makes that cover just so distinctive and iconic for that series or that book. So that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out and how well the journey did. So what would be uh, your 30 second elevator pitch for this book be? 
Yeah, so Northfield takes place in a world that's drowning in toxic gas. It's a really harsh, cold world. People are very insular and just focused on surviving above everything else. Uh, Mark Northfield stands as an exception. Um, above all, he's focused on living up to the memory and promises he made to his uh, past wife. Um, but in this, an adversary blackness, and neither has to choose between assassinating a man or being killed himself. Uh, little does he know, however, that the man he is targeted to kill holds the key to saving the world. Oh, wow. That's some pretty heavy stuff to figure out. Yeah, he is definitely in a bind. So uh, what is it that makes your series special and unique in the crowded field? So I think one of the biggest draws of my novel is the main character, Northfield. A lot of um, science fiction can put a significant uh, focus of the attention on the world, and sometimes the main character can uh, fall by the main side. Um, so in Northfield, um, the main character is very central, and he has a lot of complex emotions and just situations he has to navigate that I think readers will really connect to and uh, find really appealing. Okay. So, and uh, what tropes is it? Blah, I really can talk. What tropes did you feel Northfield hits the best or that you decided, I'm really going to use this or I'm really going to twist this? So I think one of them that um, is pretty interesting is the concept of the raider, um, a very popular sort of trope you see in especially post-apocalyptic fiction, this sort of band of... Um, guys who go around stealing and thieving. Um, there's one of them in my book, The Yellowbacks, and I think um, the handling of them is a little different than you see in other science fiction books. Um, you see a little bit more of their good side in unexpected ways. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but if you are a fan of raiders and that sort of thing, um, in that part of the world building a post-apocalypse, I think you're going to be happy with it. Oh, I think there's a whole bunch of people who are really into that kind of thing. There's an entire Mad Max thing where they do all that too, even out west. So, um, so you mentioned that this was post-apoc, but do you feel like this fits in any of the other subgenres that are available on the wild, wild webs of books? Yeah, so I think post-apocalypse is probably the most apt. I think dystopian as well. Um, there's a lot of dystopian. Uh, aspects of the book. I think as well, the broad science fiction category does fit too, just because there are a lot of different um, science fiction technologies that uh, play a part in the, the plot and um, just the world that's been built and how characters interact with it. So what is it about the post-apocalyptic field of play that, you, that draws you? I think a big thing that draws me is that it is on the surface level, the most uh, negative genre out there. It's about just the fall of humanity and uh, just darkness in general, right? No a post-apocalyptic book is going to start on a happy note. Um, and I think just taking that sort of environment and finding um, positive things in uplifting characters and people sort of overcoming a lot of those struggles is, um, I find, pretty inspiring, at least. So. Do you prefer the dystopian or the post-apocalyptic? Because there, there's kind of a difference between the two. 
And what, where do you see the difference being like as a, as a reader and an author? Right. So at least how I associate it is um, generally post-apocalypse, I think of just in terms of the environment, um, as far as the world's fallen from a state of grace, and it's something everyone realizes. Um, well, dystopian oftentimes is about just the, um, a lot of time an oppressor, a governmental um, force that's essentially taking the utopia of a society and flipping it into dystopia. Um, so I think I gravitate more towards the post-apocalypse uh, just because of what I said, it can be even more negative than dystopia. Um, but I do think, you know, there's a lot of interplay between those two subgenres. Okay. So let's talk about the story itself. What can you tell us about your main character? What makes him unique in the crowded world of science fiction and fantasy? Yeah. So I think um, he definitely has some interesting traits. I think, first of all, um, What's really appealing is he has a great set of good qualities as far as he's um, very empathetic, really striving towards doing the right thing, um, has a strong moral compass, but some negative qualities as far as he's very unsure of his decisions and um, yeah, has trouble making them um, and is very indecisive at times. He also um, has a lot of conversations and inner monologues between um, God and his um, fallen wife, which are often humorous or often sad, depending on the situation, which you don't really see that very often with science fiction um, or with characters in general, I suppose, the sort of conversations he has in his head between other characters. Okay, so uh, secondary characters also sometimes can steal the limelight. So do you have any secondary characters in this novel that are especially memorable? Yeah, um, there's a few off the top of my head. The first is, uh, her name's El Elena. She's the most, um, I guess, positive out of the group. She's really the spearhead who really has the most moral clarity and decisiveness in where to go. Um, and just through that, she's a pretty inspiring light in this world of darkness. Um, also, her father, John, John uh, he has to navigate between supporting her and um, her desire to improve the world and his desire to protect his daughter. And there's really a conflict he has with that role. Um, and then the last character is uh, his name's Geralt Saab, and he's the leader of the yellow bat faction I was talking about. Um, and there's just a lot of grayness and complexity with this character, um, which I, I, I don't want to get into too much as far as that goes, but I, I think he might be a fan favorite. Okay. That's cool. Um, who's the bad guy i mean or is the bad guy kind of just the entire situation they're finding themselves in so um the i guess antagonist you'd consider would be the network which is this sort of um, dystopian um, type government that sort of controls what society remains uh, and they sort of have a monopoly on just some of the materials people need to survive for instance gas masks um, filters sort of filtration system so people's homes can be free from the toxic gas. And through their sort of um, control of the supply of these, they have a lot of weight and ability to sort of um, shape the world and control people. So um, they're sort of one of the forces the main characters contend with. Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, if your characters met you in a back alley though, 
uh, how do you think uh, you would fare if they knew who you were? <laughs> I, I think they'd, uh, it'd be safe to say they'd be pretty upset with me. Um, I think it, it's hard for any post-apocalyptic author for the characters to come and be like, you really gave me a, a great life here in a great situation <laughs> you've put me in. Um, so I, I think I would definitely lower my head and run away as fast as I could. Uh, you know, I will say I think that is a very not uncommon, maybe even a common answer uh, for how people, I mean, authors tend to put their characters through a lot. Um, but it's still our favorite okay. one. Yeah, um, so let's take a sneak peek at how the saucers were made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from the final product but you thought were kind of cool that you want to share a little bit about? Yeah, so um, one of the – a lot of scenes I wrote were actually on the world before the fall, um, sort of in the process of falling, just the whole way that this world became this uh, toxic um, – just toxic gas field place and sort of the final moments leading – uh, to the collapse, which um, I, I was pretty happy with the scenes, but just in the final book, you know, um, just for clarity and just conciseness and having the plot move forward, um, they just couldn't make it in. But um, they definitely did inform a lot of the other parts of the book. So do you think you're going to put that out on like a Patreon for supporters maybe, or in another book or a prequel? Newsletter? Or a story for an that's, anthology? That's something I'm still thinking over. Um, one of the nice or unique things about Northfield is that there is a lot of haziness about exactly how the fall of society came, um, which, you know, sort of relates to the toxic gas and sort of this, the haziness of the world there and um, in the unsureness. So there's something I do like about that, but I also do think there's a lot of grounds to explore what happened before. So I think um, just if my mind changes on on that, um, I might put something out, but no current plans. Okay. Okay. So uh, what can you, what can you tell us about the universe? In many series, the world where the story is told is as much a character as the protagonist and the antagonist. So you can give us a hint of more than just toxic gas about the uh, the world of Northfield. Yeah, for sure. So um, a big thing about it is the network, which I was talking about, where they really have this control on the supplies and people's way of life. Um, they, in a lot of ways, just advertise themselves as just a mediator between all of the different disparate groups um, in the post-apocalypse. But, um, but their hand is unseen, but its force is certainly felt. Um, they're at war with the Yellowbacks, which I was talking about as far as they're this sort of raider faction, which everyone which everyone hates, but there's some sort of mysterious circumstances as far as why um, they never go into the greater city. They're always sort of lurking around its peripheral. Um, so just through that, uh, there's a lot that characters don't know as far as it's this world where they can't really travel too far, otherwise, um, they risk, you know, being away from their filtration houses. They can't go too far into the depths of the the gas in the wilderness. So there, there's a lot of sense of confinement in the story. So right now, Northfield stands alone. Will there be more from these characters? Um, more, where do you see this going? 
Yeah, there is going to be a sequel. Um, it's in progress right now, but there's more to the story than the first book. Um, you can read the first book and a, get a full, complete experience, but um, readers should know if they do read that there's, uh, there's more to be had. That's always exciting um, because, I mean, nobody ever, a lot, you fall in love with these worlds and then you're like, but that was it? So it's good to know for your fans out there that there is more. And um, it sounds very claustrophobic almost. Oh, for sure. Yeah, a sense of claustrophobia certainly sort of pervades the world. So I Actually, can tell the, when I, hmm? Oh, sorry. Yeah, what were you saying? I was going to say, I can tell when I read this, I'm going to be like sitting outside in the sun, breathing <laughs> lots of fresh air. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> In, in Denver here, they sell, uh, just because it's so high altitude, these oxygen things to give you even more oxygen. So that might not be a bad idea either. Goodness. Um, well, I think I'm, a, I'm pretty close to sea level, so I should be good. But I do think we have some places that sell those things. So um, every universe has its own internal consistent rules and science and technology that's specific to it. So what can we expect to see from that in your world? Oh yeah, um, certainly a lot of labor went into just making sure everything in this world is internally consistent just because of... Um, um, Fans are into those details. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those details. There's, there's some sort of secrets about the gas, which um, I won't spoil, but there's a lot of things where when you're reading, you might have questions about, huh, how does this actually work? But once the reader figures out some additional details of exactly what the gas is, um, it, it just becomes pretty interesting. And I think a lot of those questions become answered. So it's one of those where the more you read, the more sort of a, the inner workings become uh, apparent. Though I enjoy those kind of books. Do you, do you have a background in chemistry? Is that why you chose gas? I don't actually. Um, although my uh, my girlfriend, when I was writing this at the time, was going through all the organic chemistry classes and things like that in college. So I did hear about the occasional <laughs> molecule and particles and those sorts of things. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time working with uh, chemicals. So I, I, I it made me very curious. Uh, I'm not saying that it was. I'm not saying it was based after her, but all I'm just saying is Breaking Bad had chemistry in it too. <laughs> yeah, but I'm Believe not really that into organic chemistry. Biochemistry <laughs> 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 is fun. Organic was a little uh, so synthesis stuff. Um, anyways, back beyond chemistry. So, of all the tech in your universe that you invented, which one would you have for daily use? So that's an interesting question because a lot of the technology in the world was created in response to this sort of hazardous situation they find in. So a lot of it isn't too applicable. I will say what would be the coolest though is the sort of um, networks military faction has these exoskeleton suits. And I don't know if I'd get a lot of daily use out of them, but it would you know be fun to wheel around the block in a giant exosuit, although that might get a couple of complaints from the neighbors if I, if ah, I did that. That's fine. So, so, so if you had that exosuit, how would you abuse that for daily use? Because I could see never having to wait in traffic again. 
Exactly. There's no, it. there's no need for doors. You can just break down the wall. You could create so many shortcuts. Like you could have the number of steps <laughs> you have to take. So it, it's definitely a tool more for evil than for good, I guess <laughs> I will say. Definitely agree. Well, no, because you're giving them fresh air, so you're actually doing them a favor by breaking their walls. Exactly. Yeah, trying to help you out claustrophobia? Here. Who doesn't want a little more circulation <laughs> in their house? So, I got to ask you just, um, was the time being in confinement in co during COVID, like, influenced on your writing on this? Or was actually, it just a little um, too surreal for you? I, yeah, I actually started... Um, I finished the first draft in 2017. So a lot of the big story elements were there and it was just sort of a refinement. But yeah, when um, when I was getting everything ready to publish in 2020, I was kind of like, gosh, everyone's just going to think I took this from COVID and was just writing the COVID book because the first page is about the character lamenting the mask he has to wear everywhere. And that's like, that's a little, I was like- yeah. little too on point. Yeah, I was like, Oh, man, everyone's going to think I came out with this in 2020 and this is what I was thinking, but um, I guess oh, yeah. that's how it goes sometimes. Um, one of my favorite series, Grave Witch, the final book came out uh, mid-2020. And uh, because it's Trad Pub, it was definitely written way before COVID was a thing. And um, But it's there's a plague in it and it's like... Uh, in, in the book, and I'm like, oh no, they, it's the second to last book in the series. Sorry, she came out with two in the in that year, but it was like, uh, this is a little too on point. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Definitely going back, I'm like, oh, that's a little a little more topical than I quite meant it to be. But I... sometimes that sometimes that happens, and sometimes uh, I was rereading a classic recently, and it was like, wow that is even more topical now than when the book was written. And it's yeah. the book is 15 years old, maybe. So yeah, it, it was definitely, it's interesting how that sometimes happens with, particularly with science fiction, I think. Yeah. Um, it's one of those so, things where I, life is imitating art and vice versa. Yes, it can definitely happen. Um, you don't have aliens in your story but it is speculative fiction and you're clearly a fan of it. So if you wanted to create a monster or an alien, how would you go about doing it? Would you let nature inspire you? Or are we, maybe, maybe there's aliens or monsters in the gas. <laughs> you never know. Right. Um, I would say one of the big things um, is I just like, sort of the feral looking creatures with a lot of fur. So it'd probably have sort of a werewolf inspired look or sort of um, like Venom from Spider-Man, just that sort of very um, predator look I've always been a fan of. So it'd probably be something like that mixed with electricity just because I've always thought lightning was cool. So I think I'd uh, been trying to learn how to draw. So it would be fun to do a couple sketches of something like that. Um, Absolutely. Okay. That's a good answer. So you were very pithy and on point. It helps that uh, it's your debut novel, so don't worry about it. My uh, attempt at my first interview was much shorter because I just sort of word mushed all of the things together. But uh, clearly we've asked you all the questions. So was there anything you want to tell us about Northfield that we didn't ask you before we move on? Um, I think you guys 
we've got most of the you know things I wanted to talk about the setting, the plot, characters, and so I I don't think there's anything else. So right now it looks like this is only out in um, ebook and paperback. Correct? Is there any plans to get this in um, audiobook format? Yeah, um, it's certainly something I'm looking into and interested in. I've gotten a number of requests for it already. Um, just um, just waiting for the book to be out a little longer and um, just see how it plays out and see if there's a real big demand for it. But it, it's certainly something I'm open to and um, willing to do. So uh, in a dream world where you get to pick your own narrator and they're just going to have to say yes for reasons because, you know, hand wave them is real. Uh, who would you pick to narrate your book? Um, that is a great question. Whose voice do I really like? Um, I like Hugh Jackman's voice a lot. I think it would be, he's yeah. kind of got the grisly nature that I, I, think could, would I could see Hugh Jackman working, voice working really well with that cover, particularly. Yeah, and a lot of actors have moved into doing voice acting. So, um, one of the guy, the guys uh, who plays one of the villains on The Mandalorian does voice acting, and the guy who plays McDreamy, uh, now that we've proven I'm female, McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy has gotten into voice acting. So, yeah, that's right. Occasionally. You scared him away, Doc. You can't well, do that. Or, or sorry, what was that? I think I, I said I do watch TV she, occasionally. Oh yeah. <laughs> so often people are like, "Don't what do you well, what do you watch?" And I'm like, "I read books." They're like, "I've heard, okay. I've, heard good, I've heard great things about Grey's Anatomy, so I won't hold that against you." <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we wrap this up, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And as usual, dear listener and viewer, because we haven't forgotten you over there on the YouTube's, this will be uh, in the show notes. But can you tell us? For the listening audience, how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can first find my book, Northfield, on Amazon. Just uh, search Northfield by Kelvin Fisher, and you'll find it. Also, my website, uh, kelvinfishermedia.com, is a great place, a great sort of central hub to find all my other links. Uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook as well all have that same tag, uh, kelvinfishermedia.com. So if you search that, you should hopefully find my stuff. Um, and yeah, I encourage you to do that. I put out content uh, and post links to podcasts and things I do such as this. So uh, please consider checking it out if you're interested. Okay, and you can find us. Are you ready for the for the mockery, Doc, while I read this out? Always. I just want to make sure you're ready. Mocking you All right, you can find point. All right, you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. You can follow us on the Twitters over at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Send all of your hate mail to Seska at gmail.com. Hey. Remember to tell her that Pern is not fantasy. It is, or is not science fiction. It is fantasy. Uh, so we'll set her straight. Go back to counting. Yes. Go back to counting. I'm not the accountant. That's Larry Career. Uh, you can follow us on Blasters and Blades <laughs> Facebook group. 
at bla- uh, facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show over at anchor def dot uh, fm backslash blasters and deck blades for as little as a dollar a month or any derivation of dollars therein uh, you yeah, can also support clearly us at Larry is an accountant but not ours so please do because jr is doing it and he's not as good with numbers no, I have to take all my shoes and socks off to make this happen. But uh, you can support the show also on buymeacoffee.com backslash author <laughs> J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that's for the podcast. I will promise that we will keep Doc and uh, Nick Garber duly intoxicated so the shenanigans will continue and I will be your sober you driver. when he shows. This is true. And the, the uh, Department of Homeland Security has a busy chasing sasquatch but we weren't supposed to talk about that so i should probably stop right there but i'm not saying he's looking for yetis but i'm not not saying it either all right (laughs) all right doc you can bring us home thank you for spending some of your precious time with us and meeting calvin fisher uh for nick garber jr handley i'm seska this was a blasters and blades podcast we'll be back next week or somewhere at the same time approximately where we indulge our love of nerd culture (laughs) cheesy jokes Pern sci-fi, JR's craziness, and hopefully maybe he'll learn how to do numbers. <laughs> One, two, four, nine. Yep, I'm good. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs>